In the wake of their failure to stop the confirmation of Brett Kavanaugh to the Supreme Court, the George Soros-funded Council of Unhinged Leftist Knuckleheads, or CUC, gathered last night to discuss whether they should come up with some new tactics. CUC President Dieter Fascist addressed the gathering, saying, quote, I sometimes wonder if we should stop bullying people by surrounding them with angry mobs shrieking nonsensical slogans. But if we abandon that technique, we'd have to support our ideas with logical arguments. So never mind, unquote. Feminist leader Shirley Harridan did a postmortem on the failed anti-Kavanaugh protest, saying, quote, Speaking as a totally irrational woman, I thought we could appeal to that feminine energy that disregards facts in favor of hysteria and self-righteous entitlement, and thereby bring all feminist women together into one huge, screaming, 50-foot shrew raging completely out of control. When that tactic failed, we were left with a bunch of girls acting like lunatics and hoping someone would do whatever we wanted just to get us to shut up. That always worked with daddy, but somehow it didn't do the trick this time, unquote. Other council members... <laughs> suggested changing some of their slogans and chants to make them more realistic. For instance, the chant, the people united will never be defeated, might be rewritten to say a small number of excitable adolescents shouting triumphant sounding hogwash really has no effect on anything. During the Q&A period, one visitor to the CUC conference suggested, quote, Maybe it's just too arrogant and dishonest to claim we're speaking for large identity groups that we essentially invented for our own purposes. Maybe women, minorities, and homosexuals are really large collections of individuals with differing interests and opinions who can't always be formed into a useful mob willing to mindlessly do our bidding in the name of a grievance panic that we created in the first place, unquote. The leftist council took the suggestion under advisement, then beat the visitor to death while chanting slogans and shrieking. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Claven, and this is The Andrew Claven Show. I feel hunky-dunky, life is tickety-boo. Birds are winging, also singing, hunky-dunky-dee-doo. Ship-shaped, ipsy-topsy, the world is zippity-zing. It's a wonderful day, hurrah, hooray, it makes me want to sing. Oh, hurrah, All right, happy Columbus Day when the best civilization mankind has yet invented spread to this continent. Hooray! That was the best Clavenless weekend ever. We've got a good day. Jenna Ellis is coming to talk to us about something. Some Something happened to the Supreme Court. I'm not sure what it was. Knowles will be here. And Another Kingdom 2 is up for subscribers. You can go on and find that, and we will talk about that a little bit more. Uh, later, first, you got to have some coffee with you. And if you get tired of listening to social justice nonsense while you're drinking your coffee, you want to check out Black Rifle Coffee. They not only make terrific coffee, which I'm drinking all the time, they deliver the best roast-to-order coffee right to your door, which guarantees you're getting fresh, premium coffee with every order. And Black Rifle has a coffee club that makes things easy. No lines, no running out, just great coffee shipped right to your door every month, hassle-free. And they also give a portion of their sales to veteran and first responder uh, causes. When you choose Black Rifle, you're choosing a company that supports our veterans and serves coffee and culture to those who love this country, which I know is all of us. Visit BlackRifleCoffee.com slash Clavin and receive... I worry with these guys when I say slash Clavin that one of them is going to drop down out of the ceiling, actually slash Clavin. But <laughs> if you put BlackRifleCoffee.com slash Clavin, you will receive 15% off your order. That's BlackRifleCoffee.com slash Clavin for 15% off patriotic and excellent coffee. BlackRifleCoffee.com slash 
K-L-A-V-A-N. That's what we all must know. So you're, you are not going to hear this everywhere, everywhere else that you're tuning on after the Kavanaugh confirmation. You are hearing, oh, now it's a civil war. Now things, you now the blue wave, the red wave, the, this and that. See, I have this saying that, I don't know if you know Damon Runyon. He wrote these wonderful uh, stories about mobsters. They, they made them into the musical Guys and Dolls. Damon Runyon didn't say this, but he couldn't. I always say the future is what happened The future is what hasn't happened yet that we don't know what it is. And I think that's, we don't know any of this stuff. What we do know, what we do know is that this is a tremendous victory. And if you can't pause for a minute and take a breath and say, wow, great country, this America, you can win these victories still against the mob. If you can't do that, what are you fighting for? If you're not going to enjoy the moments of victory, what are you fighting for? We are fighting to preserve this country. And more important than Kavanaugh and more important than anything about, you know, everybody says this is all about abortion. It's not all about abortion. Abortion is about the Constitution. Abortion is about the Constitution. It's not about the outcomes of, uh, that happen in the Supreme Court. It is about who is to rule us. I say us and our representatives. The left says five people in the Supreme Court can just make a ruling and rewrite the Constitution like that. And it's about the rule of law, law and due process triumphing over the mob. It really is. They really did take the very legitimate complaints of the Me Too movement, the very legitimate complaints about women and how they are treated in workplaces where there are powerful men without consciences. They took those legitimate complaints and they weaponized them to take people's freedom. They weaponized the pain to turn it into hysteria to take people's freedom. And it's done on purpose. And it's done by our old friend, George Soros. You know, a woman, Asra Q. Nomani, a former Wall Street Journal reporter who is a leftist, feminist, pro-abortion person who used to be a reporter for the Wall Street Journal. She, she has been following the resistance money. Why? Because she's also a reporter. You don't find those too much anymore, but she is a reporter and she's been following the money and she's organized her findings into a spreadsheet, which you can get online. At least 50 of the largest organizations that participated as partners in the Women's March received grants from Mr. Soros's Open Society Foundation. He's the guy who does not believe Americans should, should have its own sovereignty. He believes that we are the biggest stumbling block to a better world. He has said that he has a a messiah complex. He has said he thinks he's a god. And all of this money, the number of Soros-backed partners has grown to at least 80. At least 20 of the largest groups that led the Saturday anti-Kavanaugh protests have been open society grantees. And why don't they cover it? This is the best part. She says, I've pieced this together. It's an open secret but one that journalists avoid. Why? She says many sympathize with the liberal causes, open society champions, and some have been paid open society fellows or grantees. And this is what the open society turns you into. Show that uh, protest where they were beating on the door of the Supreme Court. Here they are. These people went after the confirmation vote. They started attacking the door of the Supreme Court. It looks like a scene out of Night of the Living Dead. It's Night of the Living Left or Night of the Living Brain Dead or something. You know, it's like they just look like zombies. They turn people into. And that's what made, this is why, and and let me just point out one thing. When we're talking about due process and they say, well, you know, there's, um, Daily Caller had a, a thing where they went out and interviewed some of these protesters about whether they should get due process. Play that for a minute. Yes, innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. But not in this case. Not in this case. Like, um, uh, innocent until proven guilty apply here. I want to believe it, but his behavior is kind of 
contrary to that. I feel like it would have been and fine if they actually went through with the investigation, but now they're kind of leaving it in the hands of the public. Proven guilty, does that apply here or no? But no, but see, the thing is, it's not about innocent or proven guilty. It's about he will not stay still long enough and take responsibility for what has happened already. And it's not, and, and when the Senate refuses to allow the FBI to investigate him, then it's just sham. It's a total freaking sham. They're letting him be innocent to prove Right. I mean, yeah. hello, you know, there's two people involved here. Why isn't she extended the same rights and privileges and courtesy. and courtesy that he's been given? Do you think that Kavanaugh deserves due process or is this no, different from... No, he doesn't need to be in this you know, it's, it's frightening, right? It's frightening. They're getting rid of due process and the presumption of innocence. And one of the arguments as well, it's not a court of law. It's a job interview. Let me tell a very quick Hollywood story, all right? In Hollywood, Mira Savino, a terrific, beautiful actress, one that I think she has an Oscar and a Golden Globe, she got chased around the room by Harvey Weinstein. So what did Harvey Weinstein do when Peter Jackson was trying to cast... Um, Lord of the Rings, a very big movie, right? A very important part for an actress to get. He was looking at Mira Savino. He was looking at Ashley Judd, who also got chased around the room by Harvey Weinstein. Weinstein's people call up Jackson and say, oh, you know, these actresses are really, really tough to work with. They are terrible, terrible people. So he didn't hire them. He didn't hire them. Didn't they deserve the presumption of innocence? He was, it's, I'm not blaming Jackson. He got conned and he really regretted it. He was really sorry about it. But didn't they re deserve the presumption of innocence, even in a job interview? Why? Because anybody can say anything about anyone. Your ex-husband, your ex-wife can show up and just slander you in any situation, ruin your life. You always, the accused, the accused, not the accuser, gets the presumption of innocence. And you do not want, and that's why this is such a victory. This is why you have to pause for a minute and say, whoa, what a great country. What a country. And the, and the people were genuinely heroic. And that's the thing I want to talk about in just a second. But first, I have to talk about my underwear. Because, you know, there's nothing more important than my underwear. Because these pair of thieves, I, this is true, pair of thieves makes this underwear that is incredibly comfortable. It is like you are going commando. You wear it, you do not know you are wearing it. It's the most comfortable underwear you can wear. It's got this moisture-wicking fabric they want me to talk about. But who cares? I don't have to make it. I just have to wear it. And it feels so good. It gives, makes you feel cool and fresh. It's like air conditioning in your pants. One of the guys who started pair of thieves says all his wife ever wants to see him is a pair of their super fit briefs and his wife is Jessica Alba. No, this does not mean you should take pictures of yourself in your pair of thieves underwear and send them to Jessica Alba, but you can show them to your wife. For a limited time this month only, our listeners get 20% off their first order at pairofthieves.com slash Clavin. 20% off when you go to pairofthieves.com slash Clavin is this month only. And I'm really not joking around. I mean, I actually didn't know I was doing their ad today, and I put them on because they're just so comfortable. Pairofthieves.com slash Clavin, and you will just say, ah, how do you spell Clavin? It's K-L-A-V-A-N. So this, this, what, these people were genuinely heroes. And a lot of times we think a hero looks like this, basically. A day may come when the courage of men fails, when we forsake our friends and break all bonds of fellowship. But it is not this day. But it turns out a hero really looks like this. Cut six. Well, nothing is irreparably damaged. This has been a nasty process initiated in the beginning by uh, Senate uh, Judiciary Democrats and then carried over into the public. We've literally been under assault here by a mob that's uh, going to our homes, uh, brushing up against us in the halls, requiring enhanced security. But look, the good news is uh, the mob didn't win. Uh, justice will be done. 
Uh, we protected the presumption of in innocence in this country. It applies in all walks of life and certainly in Supreme Court uh, confirmations. Cocaine, Mitch. You know, they said, they said that, that during after the first uh, after Christine Blasey Ford testified, he called up Trump and said, you know, uh, that it's only halftime. You know, we got to stick, stay the course and everything. He was very strong about it. And he told him, I'm stronger than mules piss on this man. <laughs> I figured, well, you know, lay off the coke, uh, Mitch. But, but no, really, really, who would think that this guy with this very narrow emotional range, as you would say, who looks like that, He's the hero, and we've picked on him. A lot of people, I, I haven't because I always understood this, but like a lot of people on the right have picked on him because when you're in a, a, an organization like that and you're wrangling 50 senators, all of whom have enormous egos, all of whom are excellent politicians or they wouldn't be uh, you know, the U.S. senators, you know, it's it's hard to get everything done, but he has committed himself to these judges. He's got 26 uh, circuit federal court uh, judges. He has done a tremendous job. I have to give a little bit of a nod to Flake. You know, I really picked on Flake when he caved in after the Soros women uh, went after him in the elevator. Uh, but, you know, he stuck to his guns. He did the right thing. He said, he was, I want to hear the FBI report. And that did actually convince a lot of people, one of whom was another of the heroes here, was Susan Collins. And all we've heard about is, oh, women, you have to listen to women, you have to believe women. But they don't, that's not what they're saying. What they're saying is you have to listen to leftists. And if the leftists are women, great. And if they're not women, we're going to take them down. And Susan Collins just spoke so clearly about why she was voting for uh for Kavanaugh, that it really was like mommy came home. I know that I don't think Collins actually has any children, but it was like mommy came home and found the children had gone insane and were punching each other. And it was like, everybody go to their room and think about due process. I mean, this is what the speech was like. Listen. This debate is complicated further by the fact that the Senate confirmation process is not a trial. But certain fundamental legal principles about due process the presumption of innocence and fairness do bear on my thinking, and I cannot abandon them. <laughs> For it really was like mommy came home, you know, like boys, gang, you know, we got to have some due process, presumption of innocence. Kavanaugh was a hero. Kavanaugh himself was a hero because he stood up for himself. And that moment that they tried to uh, use, they tried to weaponize his his anger and his hurt against him. He was advised before he go, going in, uh, Brian McCann, I think his name is, he's the guy who organizes Trump's judge picks and has done such a great job. He said to him, show him how you feel. Show him how you feel. And he went in and he showed him. He was angry. He was hurt. He was upset. He had been slandered. He had been viciously treated. And that put some spine into the Republicans. That was a heroic thing to do. And one thing we should take away from that, especially the boys here, is like, stand up for yourself. Don't let them tell you, oh, you just just stay down. Keep your head down. Don't let them attack you. Don't, you know, you know, people have paid a lot more, a lot higher prices for freedom than just being attacked on Twitter, you know, than just being attacked by your friends, by just, you know, getting bad grades in school from an unkind and uh, dishonest leftist professor. People have paid higher prices than that. Kavanaugh did the right thing. That was heroic. And another guy who I, I have to tell you, it's really hard for me to call this guy a hero for a lot of reasons, and I'll tell you some of them, but Trump was a hero. Donald Trump, you know, when you charge over a hill, you know, and you're running into gunfire, you don't know who the guy next to you is. The guy next to you may be a bad guy. He may cheat on his wife. He may embezzle money. But in that moment, he may be doing the heroic thing. And Donald Trump, I'm not sure how many Republican presidents would have stood by this guy 
in the hour of need. Now, I'm sure that uh, McConnell stiffened his spine when it was needed, but still, we know Trump is a fighter. We know he is a belligerent. We know he will not back down, and he didn't back down. It would have been a lot easier for him. A lot of people were saying it would have been a lot easier for him to say, all right, you don't like this can- you know, candidate, but the principle mattered. The principle was everything. More important than Kavanaugh himself is the principle. Let's listen to Trump selling it. You don't hand matches to an arsonist, and you don't give power to an angry left-wing mob, and that's what they've become. The Democrats have become too extreme and too dangerous to govern. Republicans believe in the rule of law, not the rule of the mob. Good for President Donald. It is time to just stop for a minute and remember this is still a country with heroes in it. This is still a country with principles. It's still a country that stands fast, even in the face of the mob. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Tomorrow, the battle starts again. Now, the battle starts again. The election is coming. But for a moment, you've got to take a breath and remember, this is a beautiful thing. Have we got Jenna? Bring on the wonderful Jenna Ellis. <laughs> I'm telling you, I didn't get your rent check, Jenna. You're supposed to be paying rent on the <laughs> studio at this point. <laughs> but I, I caved. Yes, well, well, I haven't gotten my tiara yet, so I think we're fair on that one. <laughs> All right. well, well, I caved into the Twitter mob demanding that you come back, but I'm always so happy to see you. Uh, director of the Dobson Policy Center, a constitutional lawyer whose book is The Legal Basis for a Moral Constitution. You look like you're in Washington, D.C. Don't tell me. Are you invited to the uh, confirmation? I am, and ah. it's, it's very exciting. I'm here at the uh, Trump International Hotel right now, so uh, that's very exciting. And Dr. Dobson and I will be attending uh, the swearing in event at the White House tonight, which is a great honor. That is great. Well, you are there for us all. You are representing all of us, and I'm so that's really terrific. I'm glad to hear it. So, what what does this mean and from a legal standpoint? I mean, this is the stuff that we don't have the expertise to know. He, he's you know about Kavanaugh's decisions. You know the cases he's going to be facing right away. Some of them because uh, the court's in session. What do you think is the immediate effects that we'll see? Well, the immediate effect. I mean, nobody is sitting here talking about. Oh my gosh, product liability is just going to totally change. <laughs> you know, I mean, we're talking about a conservative majority, mainly for the issues that the left has been using to manipulate an activist court for the last fifty and sixty years. And so, in the initial uh, term here, I think what's going to be interesting is to see what cases they actually vote to bring on the docket because only four justices need to vote affirmative to grant uh, what's called the writ of cert uh, or the cert petition to get a case on the docket. And so Justice Kavanaugh now will represent, I think, an important fourth vote uh, to get cases that may otherwise have not been heard, like um, the Masterpiece Cake Shop case from last year. That uh, stood pending for several years before they got to four votes to actually hear that. So I think we're going to be seeing more religious liberty issues, more freedom of speech issues, uh, more First Amendment cases generally, and things that um, a conservative court will now hopefully uh, try to continue to preserve and protect our fundamental freedoms through cases that they add on to the docket. So that's really interesting. Was it Kennedy, you feel, who was not that that fourth vote when those uh, cases, when cases like Cake Shop were coming up? 
Yeah, and you know, Justice Kennedy had a very interesting uh, dynamic on the court. He was known as the swing voter, the most powerful man in Washington because of that. And he did uh, definitely believe in our fundamental protections, but where he was uh, very weak and non-conservative was on the social issue agendas. And so, of course, he wrote the um, Obergefell versus Hodges op a majority opinion, the same-sex marriage um, opinion. And that, that case, frankly, read like a Hallmark card. I mean, it was something that uh, was not legally robust. It went absolutely went against the constitutional framework. And that was all four of the dissents in that case uh, were very clear that this was uh, potentially a win for the LGBT agenda, but it was not a win for the Constitution. And so where Justice Brett Kavanaugh, I think, will step in and be different than Anthony Kennedy is looking at protecting and preserving the Constitution. He has had a very, very clear track record. And even conservatives initially wanted Amy Coney Barrett. Um, some of them did. But um, but for Kavanaugh specifically, I think that the reason that both sides were a little bit hesitant in the beginning is because he's not an outcome-based jurist. And as a constitutional law attorney, I think that's actually the most appropriate justice that we can have on the court. That's that's really interesting. I mean, Susan Collins spoke at length. By the way, I have to just mention that the dissent, Antonin Scalia's dissent in Obergefell is one of the great pieces of writing. Uh, I, I, just, I think everybody should read that. Susan Collins was talking about this, that he is, in fact, uh, he is bound to precedent. He does respect the precedent that and may, that may keep uh, something like Roe v. Wade in place after so many years. What is it like, forty-five years? Um, do you agree with that? Um, I think that if if Brett Kavanaugh is looking at the Constitution, um, then he will apply the originalist doctrine. And that means there is no right to abortion in the Constitution. We've talked about this before in the sense that if, um, if they are actually faithfully applying what the legislature can uh, can actually legislate pursuant to Article One of the Constitution, that is not a right to privacy that covers abortions in those circumstances. And so if they were to overturn it, I think it will be by degree. And it will then, uh, the, the easiest way to do that is from a federalist perspective to say, this is really a state issue. Right. Turn that back to the states. And what's fascinating about that is even the Murphy versus NCAA case that even uh, Justice Kennedy last term uh, voted, it was a 5-4 decision on the, st on the state gambling statutes. That was a federalist decision where five justices who were acting as originalists said, this isn't something that uh, we as the federal government can regulate. This has to go back down to the states. And if we're not looking at this from a politically biased perspective, that's really where it should go. And I think that the Supreme Court with a Justice Brett Kavanaugh, uh, we will see that within the next couple of years. And this is why the left is so angry and why they're putting up from the Women's March today on their Twitter, a banner of Susan Collins saying she is a rape apologist. It's absolutely ridiculous because they're saying women, we only support the women who we agree with and their, uh, their agenda is completely pro-abortion. It's not about the Constitution. It's not protecting liberty or life. Uh, you know, that, that rape apologist sign is another Soros-funded effort that was put out there by one of his, uh, one of his organizations. Uh, my, my last question is the position of John Roberts. A lot of conservatives, uh, Ben Shapiro among them, are very disappointed with Roberts. I feel uh, a, a little bit more, uh, I approve of him a little bit more. What position do you think this is going to put Roberts? Does Roberts now become Kennedy? Does he become the swing vote on the court? Uh, he's probably the one that on some of these issues, like we saw, you know, we were all disappointed um, in him for the Obamacare yes. decision. Yeah. 
Uh, for some of those issues, he tends to be a little bit more of um, a, a broader government intervention. So I think that the cases that we need to look at are immigration issues and especially the administrative state. So when we're looking at something like Chevron deference, which is, of course, the legal term for saying uh, what does the federal judicial branch have to adhere to when an administrative agency um, is looking at interpreting and applying a congressional statute, how much deference do we give them to their, interpret their own mandate? And uh, I think those cases in particular will be very interesting for Roberts, but um, he has a lot of colleagues now who hopefully now that Justice Kennedy has, uh, has stepped aside and, and resigned, hopefully he will find himself among a conservative majority that will encourage him to do the right thing. And again, faithfully apply the Constitution. This isn't outcome-based. This isn't just saying that, okay, now conservatives, if you identify with a certain group, now we're pushing our agenda through. Conservatism is about conserving the rule of law, having liberty and justice for all. That's what our Constitution provides, but within those limited margins of government. So I think this is a great day for America. A amen, amen. Thanks uh, very much, Jen. It's always great to see you, and I'm really excited you're going to be at the confirmation. We'll be thinking about you. I'll send you pictures. Thanks so much for having me, Andrew. <laughs> Have a great time. All right. Finally, finally, the Daily Wire has launched the next chapter in Another Kingdom, a podcast series written by the oh, by me. I'm sorry. It's and performed by Michael Knowles. And I got to say it. I'm not going to say this when he comes on because I, I would hate. I, I just the words wouldn't come out of my mouth. He did such a great job uh, bringing this thing to life today and on every following Monday. Subscribers to The Daily Wire will be able to watch the new episodes of season two. If you're not a subscriber, shame on you. You'll have to wait until Fridays to watch the episodes and you'll only get to see the first 15 minutes and then you can listen to the rest. But you will not get this incredible visual component. It is so beautiful. Let's take a look at the clip uh, from the first episode of season two and you can see how great it looks. Then, finally, it was dark. Time to go. With the locket still in my hand, I rolled off the bed. There was nothing to pack. I had nothing with me. I ditched my phone so no one could trace me. I'd stopped at an ATM near L.A. to stock up on cash. I couldn't use credit cards. They could trace those, too. I dismantled the GPS in my car. No internet. No social media. I was invisible. And I was utterly alone. I crossed the shit brown carpet to the door. I opened the door onto the night outside. There was billiard ball. He stood gigantically on the threshold, framed in the doorway with the parking lot lights glaring behind him. Before I could react, he jabbed me in the neck with a stun gun. The electric blast sent me reeling back into the room, convulsing, down to the floor. I dropped to the carpet, jerking and shuddering. My muscles were locked up, immobile. All I could do was lie there and judder and watch as billiard ball stepped calmly into the room and calmly shut the door behind him. His enormous shoulders were packed into a leather jacket. His muscles bulged through the thin sweater he wore underneath. He looked down at my quivering body without a smile, without a sneer, without any emotion at all. He hardly seemed interested in what he saw. He reached into his jacket and slid the little stun gun into his left inside pocket. Then he reached across into his right inside pocket and drew out a small leather case. Terror exploded inside me as I watched him unzip the case and deftly remove a syringe. I made a horrible, helpless, gurgling noise in my throat as I battled to get control of my body. It was no use. My muscles had been severed from my will. Man, that looks great. That is amazing. You can just see the drawing come to life and fill, fill itself out if you're not, if you're listening to us. 
So here's how it works, all right? If you are a subscriber, you get it on Monday, you can watch the entire thing. If you're not a subscriber, you get it on Friday, and you can watch the first 15 minutes, but you can listen to the rest. Everything will be available on audio on Friday for everybody, but why wait? Head on over to dailywire.com and subscribe to watch the first and second seasons of Another Kingdom. And we have got it. This is a real coup. We have got the star of Another Kingdom with us right here. I got to say goodbye to Daily to uh, Facebook and YouTube, but we're going to bring on Knowles in just a second. Come on over to dailywire.com where you can listen to the rest of the show. And while you're there, subscribe. You get Another Kingdom. You get all our shows. You get to be in the mailbag and all your problems get solved. I mean, that's for 10 bucks a month. Great deal. A hundred bucks. You get the whole year. We'll throw in the leftist tears tumbler. You are going to need this baby because <laughs> there's more to come coming up. We got Knowles coming up in just a minute. All right, Knowles, are you there? There is that, he is. I am so excited for this. It's funny when you're when you're working on a bunch of things. I mean, we started another kingdom a year ago now, over yeah. a year, a year and a half ago maybe, and you kind of forget when they're going to come out. And then I just wake up this morning and I see that it's out there on the website. I'm so excited for it. And the story is so good. You know, there's, uh, I kind of screw up the performance at times. You have to go back and do another take yeah. because I'm I'm surprised by what happens in the story, <laughs> you know? And I think, oh no, what, no, why did, where'd that go? You know, I don't want to give anything away, but there was a story, that some of the stuff that is made up that I was just making up in this, is in the newspaper. I mean, like I'm looking at it, going, oh my God, I made that stuff up. And it reminds me of what I wrote a, a novel a long time ago with a prison break in it. And I called up the security guys at one of the toughest prisons and I, I described the prison break and he said, that would work. <laughs> and so when I opened the newspaper today, I thought, wait, that, that's my story, isn't it? It is. That's right. I don't want to give anything away. Yeah. It is reading what's happening, especially in the press right now. Yep. Uh, with everything that's happening in politics, you know, and has been happening for a while, it is off the pages of another kingdom. There's a third kingdom now, you know, there's the LA of the story, <laughs> this crazy fantasy land, and then there's reality, which is the craziest of all. It, well, you know, I've been, I've been waiting to have you on, not just to talk about this, but also to wish you a happy Columbus how Day. How dare you? I, I, how, I is, how dare you, I know Drew. this is your favorite holiday. I, <laughs> it is my favorite holiday. <laughs> to, to quote Tony Soprano, Christopher Columbus was a brave Italian explorer, and in this house, he's a hero. End of story. <laughs> End of story. I saw you on Twitter. Somebody was complaining. <laughs> how could you? How can you make a hero out of Christopher Columbus when he destroyed what was it? The Aztecs or something? Oh, yeah, all the indigenous people. You know, he <laughs> arrived at the uh, the Taino peoples. He then he went to San Salvador. He went to uh, the Isla de Carib, where all of the the cannibals were eating friars and things like that. And uh, and then you know. Because of him, the Europeans came, they established civilization in the Americas, and they wiped out the indigenous peoples. What they forget, though, they sometimes miss this point, is they say Christopher Columbus brought rape, genocide, and terror into this utopia of the New World. Five years before Christopher Columbus landed in the Americas, the Aztec Empire slaughtered 84,000 people over the course of four days to concentrate the temple of Tenochtitlan. Uh, oh, he was a great god, though, Tenochtitlan. But he was a good one. He's worth it. You know, if any of those gods are worth it, it's Tenochtitlan. Yeah, it, if you're going to kill 80,000 people, it should be for that guy. Yeah. Well, they, they seem to, I think they get the math a little wrong, though, because if Christopher Columbus brought over the slaughter and the genocide and the rape, uh, he, he must have done it by... Uh, 
teleportation five years before he actually arrived in the <laughs> well, Americas. You know, it is a good point, too. I'm, I, you know, I, I'm well, willing to grant that there were Indian tribes uh, in America who were mistreated and yeah, were cheated, yeah, of cheated, of course. That is all true. But it is true that it, as, a, as a human being, right, the world that came to America, to the, this continent at that point, is a less, less violent world, a less uh, oppressive world, a less, um, you know, and, and of course for women, it's the only world to be in. Right. And, you know, this is really what bothers me about, so all of the slander and smears against Columbus, they're all based on nothing. There's now in recent years, it's uh, they've taken to using a couple documents about it, what a bad guy Columbus was yeah. to smear him. They're relying on one document that was written by Francisco de Bobadilla, who was Columbus's chief political rival in the new world. It'd be like, uh, I don't know, uh, referring to Hillary Clinton's book to get an idea about who Donald Trump is. <laughs> and so that that is a little frustrating. But it's the ingratitude that's so frustrating because you're living in this world. You're living in the nearest to heaven on earth, which is the Americas, the United States in particular. Uh, this country has given to the world more in charity, more in protection, more in liberty than any other civil power in history. And uh, the uh, self-flagellating Americans of today, uh, particularly white liberals, uh, say, think that it would be better had none of that ever happened. They say, oh, how awful it is that we're living here. Oh, hold on one second. I need to tweet on my iPhone about how terrible <laughs> the, the founding cor- of America is. The corporations is. are. I got to tweet uh, Google. That's and, right. It's you know, so you know, idiotic. Stephen Pinker has a great line in his book, Enlightenment Now, which is a problematic book for me, but still, it's a, it's a very entertaining and uh, knowledgeable book. It's full of inf- interesting things. But he has a great line where he says, progress erases its own foot prints. And this, the fact that we live in this world, I mean, sometimes, you know, we go over to Jay Hayes' house and I sit on his balcony and I look down and the Trader Joe's, and for people who don't know, it's this fantastic upscale, uh, you know, supermarket, basically. Yeah. And I think, gosh, you could drive down to Trader Joe's and spend, you know, a, a, a tiny fraction nothing. of the spend money you make and get some of the best food ever Pharaoh of Egypt would give up his pyramids <laughs> to have a trader. You know, he really would. It's, it's an amazing world, and we really don't know it. Speaking, though, we, I was saying that this is like the, the, the only place to be, is the only civilization that has ever treated women with the decency and kindness and freedom that this civilization does. The way they are, you know, the, all we hear about is how evil we are, the right is, toward women, mm-hmm. how sexist, we're terribly sexist. I've been watching the way they treated Melania Trump, especially over the, in this Africa trip when she's been so charming and and beautiful and delightful. She's being treated like garbage by the left. Well, you know, we need to believe all women. We need to support all women. We need to uh, raise up all women unless they work for Donald Trump or are married <laughs> or to Donald that. Trump yeah. or have ever even looked at Donald Trump. <laughs> and then we have to destroy them and smear them. The treatment of Melania is a scandal. And history will not look well upon the media and the Democrats who have abetted it. You know, during uh, the Obama administration, Michelle Obama appeared on 12 magazine covers. She graced a dozen magazine covers. Melania Trump, who has been a professional model since she was about 16, I believe she's been on one magazine cover. She was on Vanity Fair in 2017 and uh, right at the inauguration. And there was this big hullabaloo about it. And so they, they refused to have her on these, these magazine covers. Uh, Michelle was on, she was on Vogue three times, Essence twice, Time Magazine twice, no mm. Melania. And, uh, and now, by the way, with, with this Kenya trip, you've got the entire mainstream media apparatus going after her. So the, the main attack on her is that when she was on safari in Kenya, she dressed as is appropriate 
uh, when you're on safari. <laughs> That's the big attack. They were picking on her for her hat. That's for what her I saw. Hat. Yeah. So she so she wore the the pet specifically the pith helmet. Pith helmet. Uh, you know, which is this when you think of Traveling around Africa, that's what you think of. And uh, so CNN, tweet, they, they send out this headline that says, quote, U.S. First Lady Melania Trump's latest white hat evokes colonialist comparison. <laughs> to From who? you. I, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, you I, always love they, I, always love, I always love when they leave out the object of the, yeah, exactly. Yeah, critics <laughs> say, no, you're the critic. Uh, the New York <laughs> Times, the they, yeah. they write about this. The pith helmet Melania Trump wore during a Kenyan safari wasn't her most glaring faux pas. Oh, First my. of all, what? Can you name one faux pas that she, I can't, uh, but some see her choice of a symbol of European colonial rule as a big error on the global stage. Some see, some of course being the New York Times, and it's not a symbol of colonial rule. The pith helmet, that, that very specific white hat, is still a part of the official uniform of the Kenyan government, of the public administration officers. I they, remember when I was there, the, the cops wear them, don't they? That's right. Yeah. They wear this hat, and, I, and I'll tell you something, they're not white people, but this is a symbol of colonial rule. It's so outrageous. So they just make it up whole cloth and then they attack her for it. And they say, some say, and critics say, and, and they, they alternately attack her for being, you know, wicked and evil and a super genius. And then for being this dumb model, you know, trophy wife that probably secretly hates Trump and they never pick a lane. But I will point out the woman speaks what? Six languages, five or six languages. Five or six. Yeah. I mean, this is an accomplished woman. Maybe Donald Trump didn't pick her out because of her command of Serbo-Croatian. But, you know, still, she, this is an accomplished woman. This is a serious person. She's been graceful. She's been all class since she's been first lady. And they do nothing but ignore her. And when they don't ignore her, they smear her. And yeah. they do this with every woman in the Trump administration. She, she is. That's true, too. You know, that is true, too. I mean, she has been absolutely startling. Only the only one who's been more startling has been Trump himself. What a great job right. he's done! They have both done a tre- tremendous job, and they do nothing. You're absolutely right. Kellyanne Conway, Sarah Sanders, the way they treat her is is abhorrent. They mock you know? her appearance constantly. Yeah. They did, and they were all guffawing at the White House Correspondents' Dinner when they were making fun of her smoky eye and her frown. It's unbelievable. And you know the thing is, it really does point out that in each case, in whatever identity they're creating, whether it's gay people or black people or, you know, uh, uh, women, whatever they do, it's always just about the leftism. It is always to sell the leftism. And you know what their big problem is? Their big problem is you can sell race stuff to people because a lot of races don't intermingle. We self-segregate. So you can talk to black people about how evil white people are. And they may not know that many white people. But the problem they have with women is women know men. They have nice husbands. They have nice sons. They, they, They love the men in their lives. It's a little harder to sell them on this absolute crap they that's, sell that you're their friend. You that's know? such a good point because I, they were banking on during the, the Kavanaugh circus, uh, increasing voter enthusiasm among Democrat women and crushing it among Republican women. In fact, the opposite happened. Voter enthusiasm among Democrat women decreased by two points and among Republican women, I think it was up over 10 points. Yeah. Well, let's, let's hope, let's hope that actually I know. Fingers crossed. What are you talking about on your show? Today, we're going to be talking about uh, just this little news story of the day that, uh, (laughs) that Brett Kavanaugh was confirmed. Firm. What? To what? The, I didn't know hear that. You heard no. about that. Yeah. I, unfortunately, I can't crack a, a brewski right now with PJ and Squee, but we're going to be talking about that a fair bit. And we're going to, uh, once we get through all of that, once we thank all of the great conservative heroes like Susan Collins and Cocaine Mitch and Where Am I Living Right Now, uh, once we get through that, we will have to go a little more in depth on the founder of our Western New World civilization, Mr. Christopher and Columbus. Mr. Christopher Columbus. My favorite uh, tweet that went out over the weekend was from us. I think it was the Daily 
Daily Wire, <laughs> one of the wags put up this thing with the leftist tears tumbler and just said, uh, I like tears. I still like tears. <laughs> like, <laughs> I like tears. Do you like tears? Yeah. I like tears. <laughs> I like tears. All right, Noel, it's always great to talk to you. I'll see you soon. Good to see you. <laughs> our, and, and right, it's always just an easy segue to go from Noel's to our crappy culture. So you've probably heard about this, this street artist, British street artist, Banksy, uh, pulled off this kind of spectacular prank at a, uh, I believe, yeah, Sotheby's in London auction. Okay, he has this very, his most famous, the guy is, nobody knows who Banksy is. They have a lot of conjecture, but they don't know who he is. And he's supposed to be, but what he is is a street artist. He does graffiti, but he has now become very popular and his stuff is very expensive. And one of his most famous pieces is called The Girl with Balloon. And it is a picture, uh, it's a stencil basically of a girl letting a balloon go. It's a balloon is shaped, it has a heart shape and it's become incredibly popular. It's on all kinds of, you know, merchandise and things like this. And it's and, and it's kind of a, a weird thing because when you first look at it, it looks like she let her balloon go and it's flying away. But then when you look at it more closely, it looks like, oh, maybe she is actually releasing this balloon and letting go of her emotional life and becoming uh, grown up or whatever. So it's sold at this auction for over a million pounds. I think in dollars, it was $1.4 million. And after he hammered it down, and we'll show it happening, uh, after he hammered down the sale, Banksy had built into the frame a shredder and the picture then that the guy just paid a million pounds for was shredded by in the frame. They stopped it about halfway. Here's here's the the shot. So Sotheby's say say they don't they they Sotheby says it doesn't didn't know that was going to happen but I'm a little suspicious I don't know how you carry a frame like that it must have been an incredibly heavy frame and of course now it's worth even more because it's half shredded they stopped it so now they've got the shredded bottom part coming out of this now <clears throat> as far as I'm concerned this is they, somebody said we've been Banksied or something like that and Banksy put up a thing on Instagram uh, saying going going gone and then he wrote. The, the urge to destroy is also a creative urge, which is a quote that some attribute to Picasso. I have to tell you how, how I feel about this. In, in terms of what I think of modern art, I don't care if it's shredded or not. It looks exactly the same to me. But there is something, I, I'm going to go full conservative on you here because there is something genuinely decadent about this. There's something genuinely decadent about this. To say the urge to destroy is also a creative urge is like saying the urge to murder is the same as the urge to give birth. I mean, it is just not true. The words can come out of your mouth, but they don't describe the truth. What you are seeing here is people with fantastic amounts of money, fantastic amounts of money telling you that destroying the civilization is just as good as building the civilization. And because, of course, for them, it is. For them, they're going to make money no matter what. They're going to destroy the work of art to sell the work of art. Whatever happens, they're going to come away feeling great. And the decadence works great for the elite. But for the rest of us, this civilization was built up bit by bit. Every good thing we have was created by people working in the night, fighting on battlefields, thinking through their lives, wasting their lives on thoughts that didn't go anywhere, making works of art. You can't tell me that to look up 
at the Sistine Chapel is the same as tearing this thing to pieces. The only reason it's funny is because it wasn't worth anything to begin with. It's a stencil. It's not that big a deal that it gets destroyed, but that's the only reason. If you did that to the Sistine Chapel, if you shredded the Sistine Chapel, it would be a major, major tragedy. And so what I see in this is the kind of like cluelessness of the elites who are celebrating a decadent world where art doesn't matter, where art destroying something is just as good as creating it because that world makes them a fortune. That's the way it goes. All right, I am traveling. I'm off right out of here. I'm shooting out to the airport. Where am I going? I'm going to Madison, Wisconsin to speak at the university there. And uh, I will be podcasting all along the way. I will be phoning it in from there. And please uh, get on and see Another Kingdom. You can watch both season one and season two if you're a subscriber at The Daily Wire. And if you're not on Friday, you will get the first two episodes of season two. Come back tomorrow. I will be here. I'm Andrew Claven. This is The Andrew Claven Show, and we will see you again tomorrow. The Andrew Clavin Show is produced by Robert Sterling. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Technical producer, Austin Stevens. Edited by Alex Zingaro. Audio is mixed by Mike Cormina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Alvera. And our animations are by Cynthia Angulo and Jacob Jackson. The Andrew Clavin Show is a Daily Wire forward publishing production. Copyright forward publishing 2018.